Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That means improving your photo skills, building on your business knowledge, and honing your marketing abilities. But it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We do try to bring the show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographer's Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. Again, photographersedit.com and Milu.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca podcast, and uh, I hope you're having a great day today. Um, I am here and privileged to be here with, uh, virtually, that is, but certainly here with Jacqueline Wilkinson. Jacqueline, thank you so much for making time for the Boca podcast community today. Yeah, I'm super excited to geek out on Prince. (laughs) Well, and I like that you set the stage for the conversation, too. We're going to actually talk about the significance of medium as it relates to printing, and Jacqueline and I were actually chatting for a few minutes before I hit the record button, and I, I was my my curiosity was piqued quite a bit actually by the perspective that she brought. So we're going to get to that here in just a little bit. Uh, but before we do, Jacqueline, we normally start these conversations with a series of questions I ask most of my guests, and, and the first one has to do with brand position. And um, and I'd be curious, first of all, give us a little bit of context. What market, and you're a photographer and a printer both. We'll get into the printing side of things in, in more detail in just a bit. But what photography market are you based in currently? Yeah, so I'm a photographer in the Seattle area. And we have the privilege of being one of the biggest melting pots in the U.S. So I kind of fell into my niche which is diverse photography for Washington State. Um, I have experience shooting weddings in every religion, every culture. I've done Pakistani weddings, multiple Indian weddings, Islander weddings, mixed racial, same sex, plus size, big height difference, Catholic, Protestant. I've done Wiccan weddings, Chinese tea ceremonies, and a bunch of Muslim weddings. So I have very diverse portfolios. So that's kind of what I lean into here to make sure that everyone who comes to me is, is comfortable knowing that I've documented uh, so much diversity. Yeah, well, and and major props to you, by the way, for the the simple, clear position statement on your website. And for everybody listening, and if you go to Jacqueline J A C L Y N N Wilkinson dot com, um, and you scroll down just below the little header there, it says very simply, "Diverse Wedding Photography for Washington State." Um, and Jacqueline, this is one of the best and and simplest and most lovely position statements I've seen um, on the podcast yet. Um, and, and it's a really great example for all of our listeners of how to communicate a position statement very clearly, literally only six words. Um, and then you you kind of build on that idea and the text underneath, which is fine. That helps with SEO. It gives more context to the conversation. But I, mm-hmm. you did a brilliant job with this. Really well done. Yeah. I hear it a lot when I have a someone call me. <laughs> Putting my number on Google was an interesting decision. But when I have people call me there, one of their first concerns is like, oh, I see you've done a Pakistani wedding. Have you ever done an Indian wedding? And then I like, that's, it's one of the first questions that I have people ask me because of the way that they find me and the way my website looks like is what if I've done their religion, because they're looking for someone who has experience in it or is comfortable with it. Yeah, has that context, has understanding and the empathy. And yeah, that that's that's huge. Yeah. Well, again, brilliant uh, example for all of our listeners. For everybody listening, and make sure you go to JacquelineWilkinson.com and, and see this very clear position, brand position statement. It's a great example for all of our listeners. But let me keep going, Jacqueline, because uh, I'm curious from, first of all, your experience as a business, which at this point is how many years in? Uh, I'm in year six right now. Okay, so year six. And you've photographed an amazing variety of weddings. What has been one of the most significant principles that has driven your ability to bring a really great customer experience to your clients? Definitely response times. I don't know if this is a Washington thing or what, but the biggest complaint I hear from couples is, or the biggest compliment I get from them too, is like, you're so responsive. Like I can always get a hold of you. If I have an emergency, I always know that you'll get back to me within 24 hours. And they have other vendors that they don't know if they're going to hear from them right away or a week later or two weeks later or never. And so, so that's really been, I've been so surprised in the industry at how many people just don't get a job because they don't check their email often enough. 
Interesting. Okay. So so a couple of things I'm curious about here. First of all, I immediately, when I hear response time, uh, I get a little nervous because I think about, and and it's, it's a wonderful thing. You've obviously done really well with it, but I think about, at least for me anyway, I'm thinking about running a business and I want to have like uber amounts of freedom and flexibility. The idea of being stuck to my phone, constantly responding to emails and text messages and DMS Mm -hmm is stressful to me, but I also noticed that you said respond within 24 hours. So you're not going to an extreme with it. Yep. That's the key is just make sure that you're checking in. Like if you're, if I, if I'm taking a day off and I'll get into this more a little later, cause I know it's in here. Um, I, I know that I'm taking that day if I'm taking it off, but otherwise it's really not a big deal to hop into your email for, I, I mean, it depends on your company. I know there's some brands out there who their inboxes are just crazy, but for me to, to hop in and check my email at first thing I get to the office, usually about noon, first time I get in here, check my email, respond to everyone. Sometimes I'll tell myself, okay, I'm going to respond to emails now at noon and I'm not checking it again until tomorrow at noon. And so, but that 24 hour reliability, it's like, it's what, 20 minutes to an hour of my time to get through my inbox um, at noon. And it's, and then I don't look at it again until the next day I come to the office. So even if you're taking time off, you can prepare people to take time off. You can let them know, like send out an email or post on your Instagram stories. If a lot of your couples are on there, Hey, I'm taking the weekend off. I'll check emails on Monday. But, but most of us, if you're working full time, you're still coming to work five days a week, right? And so you can spend reliably at a specific time every day to check your email and respond to your emails because your clients are most important, right? Getting back to them is the most important thing. Yeah, but you found a really great balance. The other thing that sticks out to me as you're talking there, though, is you said you're able to get through your inbox in 20 minutes to an hour. I think yeah. most photographers would be are, are probably envious of that that mm, idea. I have templates. Okay. So many templates. So is that what it is? Do you have like, me yes. using like keyboard shortcuts or other pieces of software mm-hmm. or is it just the templates it's that really so drive good. That? So I have G Suite, which okay. I think is what most people have. Sorry, I'm trying not to get distracted by opening my email. <laughs> <laughs> so in my email, because I'm talking about it, there's a, there's a little, I don't know if just regular Gmail has this, but I know G Suite does. Okay. And you have like three little dots at the bottom of your email where you can save templates. And so I have a template and they're all titled like, um, location recommendations, uh, family style guide, couple style guide, maternity style guide, um, five days before a session, two days before a session, day of session, day before wedding. And you can just save them all, pop them in there, put the name in, put in a couple personalized things, make sure it doesn't sound, doesn't look like a template, right? And make sure that I have room to put in their names. Names are very important. Spelling them right is very important. Yeah. <laughs> Put in the names, put in, you know, the little details that are unique to their situation and then send it and you'll, it'll save you so much time. Like I, one of my biggest regrets in my company is not making those templates sooner. Interesting. Okay. So, but 20 minutes to an hour a day, cause you know, I, I, and I've mentioned this in the podcast before, but one of the most time consuming things for photographers is managing communication. Of course, especially now that we have so many different channels for communication, but um, it seems as though a lot of times when photographers talk about their inbox building up to, you know, they've got a hundred email or 200 email, 300,000 email, whatever it yeah, is. You got to have files. You got to have files. Yeah. Well, you've got to have a system, I think, to begin yeah. with, right? Because a lot mm-hmm. of, a lot of photographers are functioning kind of haphazardly and they just kind of jump into their email at random times and they respond to this one and they skip that one. And then they respond to this so one. So easy to forget people when you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, so again, a really wonderful example for all of us, which is first of all, to develop a system. And then secondly, to take advantage of templates, although making sure they are still personalized at the end of the day is also really important. That's a great balance, but that's really good. That's really good stuff. Okay. So this is, I mean, all about time management really in the end. So let's actually get to that question, which is about time management and balancing kind of your personal life with your business life. And I know balance looks different for everybody and that's fine. Right. But what do you, how do you go about working efficiently so that you still have some of that freedom and flexibility? Right. So I, I learned pretty early on as an entrepreneur that I'm kind of unique in my, my drive. I can work a lot and I love working. I just, I'm just so happy working when I take days off with my friends. Like I just want to talk business ideas and brainstorm. <laughs> kind of like my rest is like, I like to go get an Airbnb for a weekend and just not have to, uh, like all my clients are taken care of. So I can just be, do the creative side of right. my company. Yep. And that's restful for me. I enjoy that. But the biggest thing when it comes to family balance, um, and this is, this is so key is, uh, when I very first started my company, I would wake up 
do some work. And then at like 11 or noon or sometimes two, I'd be like, okay, I'm taking the day off. I would say that. Like I would like work for six hours in the morning and be like, I'm taking the day off and close my computer and then give myself a pat on the back. I'm taking the day off. It's two o'clock. And I didn't, I didn't take the day off. I worked for six hours mm. in the morning. And then I told myself, I said, so it was not nearly as restorative to, even if I was doing that um, you know, a few times a week, it was, I was lying to myself. And so I learned after, um, every photographer I think has their rock bottom story. Right. And so in 2017, I shot 43 weddings. I edited them all by myself and it was all within like four months. It was just nuts. I was shooting so much wow. and editing so much hit rock bottom. And I realized probably 2018, um, I took almost that whole year to just kind of recover and reevaluate my life after 2017. And um, one thing I learned that makes a huge difference is that when you're going to take a day off, you should know the day before. I would, I would prepare my clients, prepare myself, prepare my social media, prepare my blog, so that on the next day, I know that from the moment I wake up, I'm already taking a day off and it's so much more restorative. It's so much more fair to my family. And so just planning days off, because I know it's hard for wedding photographers because you have weddings on Saturdays and Sundays and randomly on Thursdays and Mondays. So to say, oh, I'm always going to take this day off isn't, isn't practical for a lot of wedding photographers when hmm. if you only have so many weddings, like you can, you can keep certain days sacred, but I don't think you have Two, as long as you make sure to plan ahead in your planner, write it down and taking this day off this yeah. week, day off this week, this day off this week, and know before you leave your computer, your workspace, wherever you're working the day before that the next day, nothing. Wow. Well, and that's, you make a good point too, which is that things aren't always going to look exactly the same week to week. So having a little bit of flexibility built in, but then being intentional with that day or those days off, I think that's a really mm -hmm. great balance. Um, you mentioned being overwhelmed having to not only photograph, but also edit those weddings. Have you experimented with outsourcing editing? Have you experimented with, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I, yep, I, I wasn't I trying to set you up. It. Yeah. I wasn't trying to set you up there by the way, but yes, I have actually, I tried it quite a few editors, um, and getting kind of all kinds of different help. I've, I've experienced, I've experimented with a lot of outsourcing. I've had a VA, I've had an employee okay. I've had, um, and then, the most, by far, the most beneficial thing for me has been helping help with editing because I, like a lot of photographers, can get really OCD where you're zoomed in on a black jacket of a guest in a group photo when you're getting all those fuzzies <laughs> off, right? Yeah. Just outsourcing it really helps kind of get that base. You can look back at the full gallery. After I get it back, I'm still doing more advanced tweaks after I get them back, but it saves me. <laughs> it takes me like 40 hours to edit a wedding. And so when mm. I send it out, and I get it back. Now, all of a sudden, I'm only having to spend like six hours on a wedding. And so that it gave it gives me so much time back, so much more peace, especially after I'm, you know, that wedding hangover feeling yeah. after the wedding when you know, like, okay, I sent everything off. I don't have to worry about anything for like five days until I get it back from my editor. <laughs> and so you kind of get that restorative window where you can get, let yourself off the hook until you get it back. I love the way that you described that, like zooming in to the, the little fuzz on the jacket <laughs> in a group picture. And like you just naturally get, whether it's that or anything else. I, I remember back when I was, before I even started Photographer's Edit, how I would get fixated on things like that and just waste so much time. And there was no need yeah. to be stuck there. But we're, we're tied to it emotionally and we're trying to make sure that mm. we provide the best possible finished product. And so I get it. Um, but you're right delegating that the editing work can be really helpful. And, and it really wasn't meant to be a setup, but I also appreciate the shout out to photographers. Mm -hmm, yeah. edit. Um, but I am curious. So have, having had the experience that you mentioned, not only with delegating editing, um, but also other aspects of your business, what has been one of the most important lessons you've learned about communication when it comes to delegating? Because, you know, the idea of taking what you do and then handing that to somebody else and making sure that they know what you want done, it can be challenging at times. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the things I had written here when it comes to outsourcing too, that relates to what you just said is there are so many softwares and companies that, that entrepreneurs use, and they don't lean on the free support that those companies offer enough, hmm. Hmm. not nearly enough. I use show it for my website 
And I am like best friends with that little box in the right corner where I can ask any question I want and they respond. Yeah. Like <laughs> I will talk with that. Like they'll help you through and they're there to help you. They're paid to sit there and respond to people. And so I think just more people need to be comfortable with contacting customer support and asking for help when they need help or um, making the adjustments when they need to make the adjustments. You know, when you get, it's, it's a lie to think, uh, oh, I think that the highlights are just not bright enough uh, overall in my photos, but it's just that one thing. So I'll just go through and like, you're paying the editor, you're paying the person who's outsourcing you, you're paying them a fee, you're paying them $40 a month, you're paying them whatever you're paying, use the service, make sure that you're getting the most out of it. And that's probably the first place that most beginners or business owners should outsource that they're not outsourcing that you're already paying for is that customer service in those platforms so that you can utilize them better and get them going more efficiently for you to save time. Yeah, that's, I'm so glad that you highlighted that because I've talked to countless photographers over the years who tell me that they feel bad reaching out and saying, Hey, I need this thing fixed or that thing tweaked or um, and, and you're right. That's what we're here for. And really when it comes to delegating the, the more, in many cases, I, I won't just simply say the more communication, the better, because it needs to be concise. You need to be clear right. that the, the, you, um, the photographer need to be clear about what it is that you want when you ask somebody else for something that this is the case for mm-hmm. me too, with my team. If I want my team to do something specifically, I can't expect them to read my mind and just go do that thing. I have to be very clear about what it is that I want. Number one. And then take advantage of the opportunity to have a conversation with them and make sure I share it in detail. Um, yeah. So I, I'm glad that you highlight that. That's that's so, so, so important. But let me actually kind of transition to kind of a different direction here. Um, mm-hmm. Inspiration and education. What hit inspiration first? What, what is a place, um, a source of inspiration outside of the photography industry that's that makes you a better photographer or makes you a better business owner? I love this question. So when, before I ever started my photography business, my husband and I have always been entrepreneurs at heart. We, when we got married, we were landscapers. We owned our own landscaping company. We, I did dog grooming. I did, um, multiple MLMs. I did, gosh, what a, a party planning. Wow. <laughs> I've done, I've done, I've, we were entrepreneurs art before I found this one and it stuck. We did a lot of other things. Yeah. And so I and my husband are very inspired by other entrepreneurs and their stories. And so I actually have a, uh, on my blog, inspirational people. And I dive into one person for like five hours randomly all the time. And so I, I love to draw inspiration from, um, Nipsey Hussle and Warren Buffett, uh, Kevin Johnson is CEO of Starbucks. And just like looking at other entrepreneurs, um, it's <laughs> to, to get business inspiration from other people who are still alive, who are in your same field is probably not the best way to go. Cause like, how are you going to not be just like them? Like they, they focus so much on like, find your own thing, find your own thing. But if you're only being inspired by people who are in your same field at the same time in the same market, like you're not, you're not going to find that individuality. And so all the times I will study these other entrepreneurs and just be blown away at things that they say, that's like, Oh, I can totally implement that into my company. And, uh, Oh, and they're so inspirational and they, their stories are amazing. Well, and I like that you have, that you're kind of reaching into all different corners of the world to get that inspiration. I mean, it is, it's so easy to get stuck with our blinders on, Mm -hmm. uh, but when we're willing to open our mind and take inspiration from a a wide variety of sources, from a wide variety of industries, um, it really, it's amazing what we have the opportunity to learn. And then you're right. We can take all those little bits and pieces and then make it our own or kind of create our own world for ourselves and our own business for ourselves in a way that we feel is best. And um, so that's a really great reminder. But then let's go to the education route. Has there been a particular book that's been really helpful in the last few years? Um, I did want to backtrack one little step and touch on when you are looking for inspiration within the photography industry, don't forget that there are generations of photography inspiration. Hmm. And I think a lot of the time people are only focusing on what they can find on Instagram. Oh, this person really inspires me. Like go look at history books and study Eve Arnold and Bob Willoughby, Ansel Adams, Julia Cameron, like go look at previous photographers. Cause when you're inspired by a photographer, like let's say um, just 
mm, a good way to generalize this, you can probably think of a few people, is we have lots of wedding photographers that are doing lots of education that are like in their 30s, maybe 40s. But photography is one of those industries where you can continue to learn and grow your company and make accomplishments and do amazing things up until you're 80 years old. Hmm. And so you're learning from people who are only halfway into their career, if that. And so if you go back to these people throughout history and see what they've accomplished, the words that they said, look at their photos and their books, they have quadruple the experience of these other people that you're getting inspired by. So like, don't forget to go back. Don't forget to go back. I love your passion for that too. I like, I can hear it in your voice, your excitement about it. That's really, really great reminder. Yeah. Uh, So education, I love anything that brings awareness to the subconscious. Okay. What does that mean? So, um, how often we can sabotage ourselves subconsciously by thinking that we're not good enough for something. Or one of the most common places we hear it in the beginning photography entries and the photography Facebook groups and stuff is like, oh, you're not charging enough, okay? This is a thing that we hear all the time. But that is just one one little piece of of subconscious that can keep us from being subconscious being successful. And so I like to study the gene keys. It's a little woo woo, but it's, it's just basically bringing awareness to subconscious topics. And so you go through the gene keys. It's very similar to like, um, astronomy or, or what is that called? Astrology. Astrology. Yes. It's kind of similar to that, but it's based more on genetics and, um, the ancient I Ching, if you know anything about that, but even if you don't believe that it can connect directly to you, it does bring up subconscious tendencies that a lot of people have and draw awareness to them so that you can say, hmm, is that me? Yeah. Or nope, that's not for me. Or yeah, that's that's me. And I didn't even think about that. I'm totally doing that. And so anywhere where you can find somewhere in your subconscious that you're keeping yourself from being better or getting better because you don't think that it's for you because you've never thought about it or something in your childhood told you that you aren't good enough for it or that it's not something that you can achieve for whatever reason, when you can isolate those things and heal them, then you're going to just do so much better in life. Oh, you summed that up beautifully too. And I'm curious, I mean, when you talk about this concept of gene keys, is there a particular book that you would recommend if somebody wanted to? Yeah, it's called, it's called the gene keys. Oh, literally. Okay, cool. We'll we'll find that and link to it then uh, in the show notes. And for anybody who's curious, if you just go to bocapodcast.com, You'll see the show notes from today's conversation and past episodes. Um, they're underneath the episode. Haley puts the the talking points and, of course, the links to the various resources like the books that we talk about there at bookapodcast.com. So make sure you take advantage of that. Um, you know what? Let's let's get into kind of our primary focus today. And you you started our conversation off by mentioning printing. You're not just a photographer, but you also have a small fine art photo printing lab called Love and in Ink. Will you give just a little bit of a backstory to that before we talk about printing? Of course. So I have always been a firm believer that no one has to give you permission to do anything this day and age. Anyone can become a life coach. <laughs> they don't need to go to school to be a therapist anymore. Like you can, you can, there's enough education out there that for a lot of things, not everything, but a lot of things you can self-qualify yourself for. And something that I loved when I studied these old photographers like Eve Arnold and Ansel Adams and stuff is I loved this concept of, of art gallery viewings, of having a gallery viewing. Hmm. And that was always something that was in their like accomplishment breakdowns, you know, it was like, oh, they had a gallery viewing at the Smithsonian or wherever. And I was like, I want to do a gallery viewing. That sounds like fun. I don't need to be invited. I'm just going to do one. So, (laughs) so when I shot my 100th wedding, I hosted my own gallery viewing for my clients and I picked my favorite photo from every wedding I had ever photographed. Wow! I printed it myself and I hired a bartender, got a gallery venue and invited my couples to come. And (laughs) I had no idea how much I was getting into with that project. I made it just sound really simple just there, but it was like a week of a lot of work preparing for this. Uh, The main part being printing one photo from a hundred galleries, right? So (laughs) I had never printed my photos before that. And I have this printer that has a really fun story. I guess I have to tell it now. Um, I have this printer that my wedding photographer was a teenager in high school and she was very talented and she actually won a, 
she won an award at the Tacoma Art Museum for a, like a minor photographer from a photo she took at my wedding. Wow. And when she won this award at the gallery, at the Tacoma Art Gallery competition, she was gifted this printer from a photo she took of my wedding dress. And then when she got engaged many, many years later, uh, she got married last year, she contacted me and wanted me to photograph her wedding, but she couldn't quite afford my rates. So she bartered with this printer that she won from photographing my wedding dress. Oh, no way. Yeah. So, so we, so I allowed her to give me this. I have a Canon Pro 9000 Mark II, something like that. I'm blanking on the numbers. But anyway, she gave me this printer. It's like maybe a $600, $700 printer as part of her payment for me to photograph her wedding. And I just, it just collected dust in the corner for a while. And then when I had this gallery viewing come up, I'm like, I'm going to print, I'm going to print my own work. I think that would be really cool. And then I had to print 100 photos in like, three days <laughs> and I caught the bug doing wow. that. So a yeah. hundred photos in three days, like how many hours do you think you put into, of course there's the printing side of it, but there's also prepping each of those files to yeah. print as well. That oh, extremely and time try consuming. going through a wedding gallery and picking one photo. Hey, fair. Like, try that. Yeah. Try that. And so I ended up having, it was such a good exercise. Oh man. If you haven't done this, you should do this. I just bawled for a week. I just cried, just reflected on my entire career, got to see the improvements over the years. And then I started, at first I was like, oh, what's the prettiest photo? And then as I got further into the project, I was like, what was the most memorable moment of this wedding for me? What is the photo I clicked where I was crying? And then the gallery started to shift partway through printing where it was like not just the best lit, most flattering pose that I had constructed, but it started transforming into more photojournalism moments. And that was just, oh, to be able to, ref- you, everyone should reflect on a career like that. You had a hundred weddings, you back, you'll go back through, reflect on every wedding, pick your favorite photo from every wedding. It is the best exercise I have ever done. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But that would be a fascinating concept too, to just like you're talking about. I mean, I've done this, I guess, on a digital level in, in years past because I have you know, old photos from, from blogs from years and years ago. In fact, back in the day when the resolution that we would use for blog photos was was so low that now looking at them on modern screens means they're pixelated, which of course (laughs) begs a conversation about the significance of print and how it's long lasting. But um, nonetheless, it really is an interesting experience to go back and realize, um, hopefully how far you've come in the process of being a photographer. And while you're, while we're talking about this, I'm actually looking at all of those prints on my wall. I hung them up in my studio. So I can, I can see all of them right now while we're talking and there's no better way to just keep yourself working during the day than to see that. Yeah. Well, uh, like inspiration and then encouragement and also like a reminder to keep working and refining your craft, but how long, okay. So you went through this process of printing these images for this gallery viewing. It sounds like it went really well. Um, Mm -hmm. from that point you decided to go ahead and start a side business as a printer. Yeah. I was like, these look really good. And I had printed not a lot before this. I maybe had, I don't know, like, like most wedding photographers, I had had like six things printed really fast randomly for like a bridal show or something like that. Right. And so I didn't really, I hadn't printed a lot, uh, until this moment. And then, but I had, you know, done my own family prints and family photo books and I have sold albums. So I do know what quality prints look like. I do do albums for my couples and once in a while get a print order randomly and I've ordered prints for my family. And so as I was printing these out of this printer, I was like, this isn't even a super high quality printer, but they look better than all of the mainstream public access printers that I've used. They look better than Shutterfly. They look better than Walmart, Walgreens, Target, any of the hour services. And I I realized it was came down to two things. I was using quality paper and I was caring. (laughs) Like after the photo came out and it didn't look right, I did it again. Like if an ink, if one of the inks was like um, partially clogged or something. Like I took the time to make sure that all of the inks were present. Like I <sighs> cropped appropriately because you know, there's aspect ratios is a thing. And so sometimes you order a print and you have something cropped that you didn't want cropped because of aspect ratio. And so I can make sure that it's got a decent crop on it. If someone forgets or for myself. And so just even having one person who cares enough to use distant paper and review the print as it comes out, like you already have a way better product than these companies that are just like sticking the USB in and no one even looks at the photos. They just come out of the printer and they just hand them to you. Right. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So, so how long ago then did you get this? Did you launch the separate brand Love and Ink? February, February 1st, when I had moved into my new studio uh, at the end of January and then got it all ready and then announced the new studio and print lab on February 1st. Wow. So you're just jumping in, which is, yeah. I mean, it's such a Fresh. wild thing too, amidst all that's been going on in our culture and, and across the world, really. Um, yes. And that could be really challenging, but um, kudos to you for, for going for it, for jumping in, because you're right. There are so many different opportunities that we can capitalize on these days. And you know, printing is an interesting one because it's not so commonplace per se. I mean, I know that plenty of photographers still print, but others aren't uh, for various reasons. One, of course, is just the convenience of the digital file. And yeah. so I'd love for you to give a little bit of context, particularly to new photographers or maybe photographers who don't normally print their images. Um, before we get into to medium, because we're going to actually talk about print medium specifically, um, you, you were actually chatting with me before we started recording about how understanding printing or more specifically print medium should actually be considered in the process of establishing a photographic style or more specifically an editing style. It was a really interesting conversation. So I, I'm just going to kind of let you take the mic and, and run with it. Yeah, definitely. So I've got something very interesting, a new idea for you. Okay. So speaking to mostly the new photographers, if you're a very established company, um, this takes a lot more consideration, but if you're new and you're still trying to figure out what kind of style you want your editing to be, what kind of style you want your shooting to be. Um, you know, kind of start with your editing style. Most people will go through Pinterest is what a lot of people recommend. Go through Pinterest, pin your favorite photos, then go see if there's any kind of consistency in the things that you've been pinning that you enjoy. Have you been pinning a lot of pastel-y color photos, light and airy, dark and moody? Like what have you been pinning the most? What do you like the most? And then shoot that. And then later you come to learn that there's not just, it's not just editing, but it's also, there's ways you can affect your contrast um, with the lighting that you're using, with the backgrounds that you're using. And then you kind of develop your style from there. Um, something that I would recommend is finding, like that's assuming that if you're going to Pinterest, and you're looking at what you're inspired by and you're going to edit that way, that's assuming that your art medium is a screen. That's assuming that your finished product is going to be a digital file on Pinterest, okay? And so it's no wonder that photographers have a hard time getting into in-person sales or selling prints or they're uncomfortable selling prints because, because sales. But I, you know, I would like to argue that it's not just about sales. It's about the education of print as well and being comfortable with and knowing uh, the value of it. And so if you're new and you don't know how you want to shoot yet, I would recommend starting with what kind of medium you want to shoot on, what kind of medium you want to print on. When you're holding a photo and you're thinking about your clients displaying their photos in their home or in their business, um, like if you're wanting to shoot, uh, gosh, oh, I'm so excited. I just want to like go all directions. But let's say, for instance, you want to shoot commercial work. Most people don't start businesses that way. But if you did, a perfect example would be most commercial buildings love metal prints. They're, they're commercially, they're just unique. There's easy to print huge, but that would, that would change your shooting style. If you knew you were going to shoot commercial for commercial buildings and you wanted to do large metal prints, that's going to affect your editing style and your shooting style because of the way that metal displays photos in a very dynamic, saturated way. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Okay. So, but I, I'm curious though, and I'm sure, oh, okay. So we, we have the metal prints. Let's, let me, first of all, ask yeah. you, how would that then, if we're talking about how it takes, like a metal print would take an image and kind of reveal it, if you will, in a really dynamic, very saturated way. Mm -hmm. um, how then would like a textured art paper reveal an image? How would that render right. that particular image? All right. So let's, you want to get into like some of the different mediums and kind of how they affect an image? Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of come back to this this part of the conversation in a second. But it's, since we're on this line of thinking, yeah, let's get into how yeah. the various mediums affect the image. Definitely. Okay. So I'm going to go over metal and glossy and matte. I'm going to touch on acrylic just a little bit and then um, talk about canvas because people love canvas. So with metal, if you naturally have a photography style that's very saturated, you like really sharp photos and your photos have a lot of dimension, strong highlights, deep shadows, all in one frame. 
then metal is going to be a really good go-to for you. You're always going to want to look for this process called dye sublimation. And it's where they don't put the photo, like they don't spray the ink like right on the photo. It, the ink never is liquid ever in dye sublimation. It goes from gas to solid to gas to solid. So they start by printing it on like a piece of paper special paper, and then they put it on the metal and then it binds to the metal. It doesn't sit on the surface. It literally becomes one with it. Wow. And and you want that process. If that's not, if they're not using dye sublimation, they're using like direct printing or whatever. It's like, you don't want that. That's going to look like trash. It's going to look like pointillism when you get in real close. It's not going to last nearly as long. And so you really, with metal, you really want that dye sublimation process and um, you also want to keep your keep your clients in mind too. So if you if you're shooting, if you're going to print on metal, um, it's you're going to shine the best. It's going to look the coolest. If you have if you like bright colors, if you have sharp photos, if your photos like kind of shaky and focused, you probably don't want to print on metal because it's going to become more obvious, right? And so you're looking for that dye sublimation process. And then if you have really dynamic photos and then where your client wants to hang the photo, something really cool about metal is that it's uh, easy to clean. So a lot of clients can, you can, you can put them in your shower, which is really cool. Can you can't really? do that with, yeah. You can put metal prints in like bathrooms, wow. um, outdoor living spaces, like a covered outdoor living spaces. A lot of houses in the South I know have like outdoor living rooms and stuff like that, where it's kind of like attached to your house, you know, it's really good for as long as it's like, I wouldn't put it right out in the open, but like a covered living room space. If you had like a wall and on your house on the outside, that's in a covered living room. Okay. You're currently not printing metal at your lab. Is that something that you're going to eventually get into? And I'm in a stage right now where I'm studying everything and then like, do I want to get into that? Got it. So right now, what products are you printing there through your lab? I print on matte and luster. I use cotton photo. I use cotton paper, cotton archival paper. I've experienced with bright white and like regular white and in luster photo. That's all I'm doing right now is different paper types. Okay. All right. So um, with the with the metal medium, you're talking about how it's great for big impact, durable. You can display it in lots of different places. Great for saturated photos. Yeah, saturated, like bright, bright colors. Basically, anything that's gonna, that's really reflective is going to be really great for um, bright colors. Okay. Very cool. So that's the metal yes. medium. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the next one? Okay. And then side by side with metal, that's kind of common is acrylic and acrylic's not quite as saturated, but the cool thing about acrylic, especially for photographers who are uh, started with backlit um, inspiration from a computer screen is you can backlight acrylic, which is really cool because it like will shine through the photo similar to a computer screen. So I think that's really cool. But that's <laughs> the only thing I wanted to say about that. <laughs> okay. Well, let me actually ask you though, with, with the acrylic, what, what is the surface that's being printed on? Is it an acrylic surface? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, it's okay. acrylic. A lot of people say glass, but I'm pretty sure it's still acrylic, even when they say glass. Okay. And then metal's aluminum. Almost always it's aluminum. Okay. Yeah. And then it's very, very big in the in the metal printing world um, that Chromalux HD metal is the only way to go. Like they'll all say that like everything else is totally inferior. So if a vendor isn't offering chroma metal, then don't bother. Got it. Okay. So <laughs> we've there got- can be thin and flimsy. Like you want to make sure you have good metal because it's varies a lot. All right. So metal acrylic. What's the next one? Glossy versus matte paper. So this is, this is where, where I, I like to print on paper. I think that different kinds of paper are the most beautiful way to represent almost any image for me. I, I, I just like holding it and touching it. And I don't know, there's just something about paper that is just very nostalgic for me. I like paper. So <laughs> glossy, the, the more glossy the print, the paper, the more dynamic range it's going to support. That's a very simple, simple way to put that. So glossy paper is going to be great for like really sharp images. Like a lot of photographers, especially when they're first starting out, have that one photo they took of their kid where it's a close up with their eyes in it and their eyes are in focus and they're like, oh, I'm amazing. You know, like <laughs> that's, I think that's a first photo that a lot of moms take as with a close up of their kid with their eyes in focus for the first time. Right. And so, so I guess kind of similar to, to metal, just not quite as impactful, but similar to metal. If, if you you want something to really pop, then then glossy is a good way to go. Yeah, but it's it's a love hate relationship because that reflection is rough, man. It, the reflection can be really rough, so where you display it is pretty important. Um, you can't, you know, if you're gonna 
put it somewhere that has a lot of artificial lights. You might never really see the photo, especially if it's behind glass as well. Then you're getting all this like reflection that happens, which is a lot of the appeal to matte paper these days is, is you can see it from any direction. But, but still when you don't have the reflection, when it's lit properly and it's displayed in a proper location, it's going to be just the most beautiful photos for people who like to shoot with high contrast. I am a very high contrast photographer. If you go through my portfolio, I shoot at 90 degrees, 90% of the time. Like I, I love that 90 degree light. Like Mm, all the time. I love that. And so glossy paper is really great for my work because I really like uh, dark backgrounds. And then so my subject kind of pops on it. So if you're using okay. light backgrounds all the time, if you're always, if you're like putting your photographer or putting your subject like into big open spaces versus like I'm in Washington. So we've got a lot of evergreens. So I shoot a lot of people with evergreen backdrops, which really makes my subject pop a lot. My background is really dark. And so if I'm shooting a really fair skinned person in a white dress with a dark green backdrop for that contrast, that that's going to be a lot of dynamic range between the dark evergreens and my white wedding dress. And so glossy paper is going to really show that uh, so much better than, than matte paper, which is going to lose a lot of those darks um, in order to support those highlights. Okay, so you've highlighted, to, to borrow the word, you've highlighted the benefits of glossy paper. What would you say are the benefits of the matte paper aside from, of course, negating the, the issues with glare? Mm-hmm. So if, if anyone considers themselves a light and airy photographer, matte paper is what you want. It's so great for low contrast images. Um, it displays with like no light help. So there's, you don't have to worry. It's just really versatile. If you don't have a lot of dynamic range in your photo, there's no reason to sacrifice for that glare of a glossy paper. If you're like all pastels, bright, bright blue skies, bright, 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 or just not a lot of light, uh, like you're always shooting at golden hour and like flat light, then there's no reason to, to do, to sacrifice the gloss, um, reflection thing for to go for glossy paper there's no reason to do that or for even metal like you're just not using its strengths it's like if you buy a ferrari and you only ever drive at 20 miles an hour like there's there's no reason to do that um, unless <laughs> you just like it but it's you just too many sacrifices for for what you're getting out of it right so like the cost and the the benefits, if you're never using it, then there's no reason to pay that price um, when it comes to financial cost and like the the cons of that medium, right? And so if you're not going to use them, don't do it. Stick to matte paper would be my recommendation. And then, uh, so it's great for low contrast images. And low contrast doesn't mean like, oh, but when I'm in Lightroom, I slide my contrast all the way up to 90. Like that's not that's not the same thing as like using in-camera contrast with your light, like a truly high contrast image with dark darks and bright brights. It's not the same as post-processing contrast. Does that make sense? Well, I, I think so. I mean, I, I guess really what I'm thinking about though is can I not increase, and maybe this is what you're getting at, can I not increase the level of contrast and saturation when I'm doing post-production work so that that then translates to the medium regardless of the medium um or are you saying for example that matt is just going to negate all the work that you put into popping that contrast and saturation just because of the tendencies of that particular medium or that in that- a lot of ways it will okay. yeah in a lot of ways it will so when you're watching like professional printers or if you're going to have your photo printed from a very very high esteemed studio they're ta- <laughs> they're not just taking your photo and printing it they're taking your photo into photoshop and they're making sure that it looks the same way on the paper that it looks on your screen and so they're editing your photo to make sure that it fits that medium properly to be the same way it looks on your screen well and i guess that's kind of what i was getting at because i was and you and i were chatting a little bit beforehand and and we started to get into this and this is where i'm kind of curious can i not i understand that what i see on screen isn't necessarily going to translate to the print can i not learn how to process the image yes. in such a way yes. so that it does render the same way that i'm seeing on the screen on the print and this is why for beginner photographers if you pick your medium first and you know your mediums well you're going to do that and if you offer everything under the sun for print products, you don't know any of one of your mediums very, very well. It's just like, you know, if you're like, oh, I shoot babies and dogs and weddings and seniors. And people always say like, 
you know, it's okay. Some people are successful at that. That's fine. But as a general rule, you like to niche down so you can be really good at what you do. Right. And so it's the same thing with mediums. You don't want to just print your photos on anything because it's going to look totally different from one paper to another. Whereas if you know, I know that my style of photography is complemented so well by this medium or that medium or this and this two or three of them, maybe three or four, then you know, you know how to work that medium, you know, like, okay, so I, this client really wants this on this product. And I know that this product is going to like darken my photos. I'm going to brighten a little bit more for it. And there's actually a thing. um, This is kind of a little bit advanced, but I'll just touch on it. There's a thing in Lightroom called printer profiles where you can do a soft preview, I think is what it's called, where you pick your printer profile of what paper you're going to have it printed on. And you can see the way it's going to look on that paper in Lightroom. Right, right. Okay. So I I guess, um, really, if we were to sum it up, we can we can certainly post produce the image in such a way that it renders accurately from screen to print. But what you're encouraging everybody to do is to consider the medium based on the end goal. Yeah, that's going to complement your shooting and editing style the most. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. Yeah. I personally, back in the day when when I was having prints made, um, I did a little bit of canvas. I My personal favorite was what we were just calling kind of a textured art paper. Maybe you would mm-hmm. call it like a cotton rag. Is is that something comparable? Yeah. Um, and I, I love the texture of that. I love how it rendered images, even images that were slightly soft. Um, yes. they, it looked really beautiful on that yeah. particular medium. It was really great. I just loved delivering that. In fact, there was a particular product that we would uh, we would give to our clients. I was I was actually shooting with, in addition to shooting with digital cameras, um, we also had a, a Russian panoramic camera that we would photograph with. It was a oh, thir- cool. <laughs> yeah, thirty five millimeter camera. And then from that, we would, so we'd shoot a few frames, um, have scans done, pick the image, have that particular image uh, scanned at high res, retouch it, and then have it printed on a, on a textured art paper and That's mount awesome. it and deliver that to the client. Um, and it just that. rendered it really, really beautifully. Um, yeah, so that, the th- texture is so nice. And then matte paper is very forgiving of, of all kinds of flaws. Matte paper hmm. is very forgiving. Um, and, and, you know, I, wouldn't, I don't want to call it a flaw because it's art, right? So it's objective. But <laughs> just like if you have a soft focus or something like that that you shoot with, you will like to shoot, like say if someone likes to shoot wide open, it's really popular for a lot of photographers to like always shoot at 1.8 or 1.6 or whatever their camera can do. Um, if, that, if you claim that as part of your style, then I would definitely recommend a matte photo paper, matte cotton rag paper for sure. Okay. Um, And then I have a note in here too, while you're talking about texture is sometimes texture outweighs the pros because I, for my family, I'm thinking specifically of my kids. I have a family album of our family photos that I got printed on matte velvet paper. And it is just, so it's their favorite album because when they're flipping through it, there's not just the visual aspect. It's soft and it's like fun to touch this matte velvet paper. Right. And so it just is so much a part of the experience, regardless of how the photos were taken or sometimes sometimes texture or something fun can outweigh, you know, don't take it too seriously. Yeah, have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a yeah. that's a good summation of of yeah. that. But um, again, I think this is a great reminder for all of our listeners, particularly those as you pointed out who are new to photography, newer to photography, certainly new to printing. Um, mm-hmm. It's a great reminder to consider the end goal for the print product that you are going to deliver to your client, and consider. Okay what medium then to print on based on that end goal. And, you know, it's funny, I, I think I got alluded to this uh, before we started recording, Jacqueline, but that, that wasn't really something that I considered so much back when back in the days when I was printing. We either printed, if we were printing proofs, especially back when we were shooting film, um, it was just printed on a, on a matte paper or maybe a luster paper. And then mm-hmm. when we were having larger fine art prints made. Generally, it was done on this textured fine art paper. I, I can't even speak to the particular brand um, yeah. or, or otherwise, but it, w- it was just something that worked and our local lab would do that for us and it worked really well. 
But I think developing a certain amount of awareness for everybody listening and developing a certain amount of awareness about the mediums available, how they will ultimately render your images, and then considering various mediums depending on the goal is a really great way to go about things and and will ultimately enable you to bring a much better finished product to your clients. I think this is a great um, kind of introduction to print medium. Yeah. Yeah. The last one we were going to cover was Canvas. Okay. And, uh, that is again, so much texture on canvas and it's so popular. I'm kind of baffled at it now that I, the more I get into the print, the more I'm baffled by canvas. It is, it's, if you go like, if you've, if you've looked at different ca- canvas vendors, they do so much to the canvas. They prep it in so many ways. They're doing layer after layer after layer to make sure that it's archival and that it's going to look good and that it's going to sustain color. It is not an easy medium, but it's the most popular one, <laughs> which is so weird. Um, but I, canvas is really good for, for photographers who like that really advanced kind of painterly effect that a lot of photographers do in like Photoshop. It's a great painterly surface for those kind of. Sure. And then it's really popular because it fits into a lot of people's home decor. It's kind of a nice textured painterly looking um, surface. Yeah. But it's, it absorbs a lot. And so it has to be prepped a lot to make sure that, you know, so you're not going to get those fine lines that you're going to get with like glossy paper, even matte paper, um, because it, even with all of the prepping, it's not always going to be tack sharp. So I, I know that that your lab, as you mentioned earlier, is just getting started. So currently, for those who are curious and might want to um, send in an order to an experiment, see what your service is like. Um, you're you're currently offering luster print packs, um, cotton rag print packs. Is, is that the the two primary mediums that you're currently printing on? Yeah, for now, we definitely. I'm we're definitely working on branching into more. But like you mentioned, with the state of of everything in the world right now. It hasn't been easy to grow, sure, but we're, sure. we'll get there. I'm in it for the long haul. I really believe consistency is queen. So just well, keep, keep trunking along and we'll get it. Absolutely. And, and I appreciate you at the very least kind of bringing attention to the significance of medium and how it should be considered when it comes to editing style. And then ultimately, of course, a finished product, considering the mm-hmm. medium as a, a means to delivering the best possible product for a client, depending on the situation, the circumstance, and then the end goal. And mm-hmm. um, I, I appreciate you bringing knowledge, kind of the awareness, I guess, ultimately to the significance of this concept. Um, it was something certainly that I, I missed, it, missed out on as a photographer, and probably a lot of photographers these days aren't considering. So awareness is important, important here. Um, will you just, in closing, remind our listeners where they can find you, both your photography website, as well as uh, Love and Inc.? Of course. My, you mentioned earlier, my photography website is JacquelineWilkinson.com. And then the print lab is LoveInc.co. LoveInc.co. All right. Very good. And we'll put all of this in the show notes at BocaPodcast.com. Thanks once again, Jacqueline, for making time for all of us. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at bocapodcast.com. We do try to bring this show to you commercial free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com and Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. Photographer's Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.